Hello, I'm Lee Randall, and I'm here at the National Museum Scotland to speak to the curators behind the new exhibition, Dr. Livingston, I Presume, which is on from the 23rd of November until the 7th of April. With me is Dr. Sarah Worden, curator of the African Collections, and we're joined by Lovemore Mazibuko, the acting director of the Chichiri Museum in Blantyre, Malawi. Now, the National Museum Scotland have a partnership with Museums Malawi to mount this exhibition and with money provided by the Scottish Government have created a program for developing museum skills. David Livingston was born in Blantyre in 1813 and is best remembered as a missionary and an explorer. Here in the United Kingdom, his reputation rose and fell and rose again. But I'm wondering, Lovemore, if you can tell me how he's thought of in Malawi. Indeed, the National Museums of Malawi and the National Museums of Scotland, we are having a joint exhibition on David Livingstone. David Livingstone in Malawi is highly regarded because his coming marked a turning point on how human beings relate to themselves but also how he, they can relate to, to God. You may wish to know that David Livingston is credited for bringing not only to Malawi but to the subcontinent, the th- what we call three seas. These are Christianity, first and foremost, because he was a missionary, and then he also brought commerce, but he also brought the slave trade. Now on the commerce, you may wish, I mean, you may allow me to expand that a bit. You may wish to know that he, before the coming of legitimate trade, there was what we called slave trade, people uh, 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 selling each other. And uh, the coming in of Livingstone was like uh, a turning point in the sense that he, he stopped slave trade and he brought about legitimate trade whereby he was now encouraging people to venture into trade that uh, is acceptable, not only in the eyes of human beings but even in, in the eyes of God. And uh, um, in Malawi, Livingstone is very, very much cherished. Not only by local people, but by politicians, by church leaders, virtually everybody, because he did not take a partisan interest. Because in those days before Livingston came, there was a lot of conflict between ethnic groups. And his coming assisted to diffuse that conflict to help people understand that we are all created in the image of God. And because of that, uh, people started living in harmony, people started living together and respecting one another. You may also wish to know that uh, most of Livingstone's work, eh, it was done in Africa. Here you just uh, raised him, mm-hmm. but his, uh, the work of his hands are much more felt in Africa, in Malawi, in Zambia, in Tanzania, in Mozambique, than even here in Scotland. So we are, we are happy that we, associated, we have associated ourselves with this exhibition. Thank you. Thank you. That was really, really inspiring. And now, Dr. Worden, what sorts of artifacts can visitors expect to see in this exhibition, and where do they come from? Well, the artifacts in the exhibition come from a range of places, institutions and personal um, collections. But essentially, we built on the collections we already have in our museum that date from Livingston's time in Africa and his friendship with George Wilson, who was our first director of what was then the Industrial Museum of Scotland. Well, Livingston was travelling and he'd met George Wilson in 38. 
1908 when he was a student of chemistry in London and George Wilson was working as an assistant in the laboratory. And how did they maintain their friendship given the fact that Livingston left the country very shortly thereafter? We have letters that record their friendship because he went to Africa shortly after he met George Wilson. Okay, so some of the objects you're going to see that come from our collections of Livingston material from the 1850s include technological instruments and objects that, of course, were something that George Wilson, the director, had been particularly interested in. This was an industrial and technological museum. He was interested in collecting processes and production methods. And Livingston had agreed to send objects that he came across back to the museum. So in our collection, we have a weaving loom, which looks at you know processes of weaving by the local people. And this is a hand loom, not a giant loom like we'd think of in a factory. This is a small hand loom, is it not? Absolutely. This is a hand loom pinned into the ground and used across the ground, rather than the uh, sort of loom that Livingston had actually worked with, which was you know part of the Industrial Revolution, if you like those big machines that he worked as from the age of 10 as a piecer and later on as a spinner. And I think that was one of the reasons that he would have been very interested in something like a weaving loom because uh, of his connections with the weaving trade. He saw it as something that he could use as legitimate trade to combat problems locally with slavery and local people trading people rather than what he would have seen as legitimate goods and commerce. And is there not a grinding bowl, which would have been very integral to the diet of the people in Africa? Yes, there's a a fantastic grinding stone, which actually described in detail how a woman would get up early and grind the corn for the daily meal. And that was also created as an etching in the book um, so that people could actually see and is, again, an important technological process. How do people make food? Now... The exhibition features maps that Livingston himself created. Is that not correct? He was he was quite a good navigator, wasn't he? And quite accurate with his map making. Absolutely. I mean, he learnt as he was coming over from England to South Africa. He was learning his skills through navigation from the uh, guys on the ships, just developing everything he could. He was a avid, you know, learner of anything. Um, whether it was languages or navigational skills. And in the exhibition, we have some of the objects associated with him. In fact, we've got a compass from the Royal Geographical Society, which actually was loaned to him on his third journeys and then returned to the society on his death. Tell me about the hats. Livingston's, what we would term as his third journeys, was missing or at least out of contact for a number of years. And it was really quite a story to find Livingston. So uh, Henry Morton Stanley, actually Welsh by birth, but working for the New York Herald, was sent as a journalist to see if he could find Livingston, get the scoop story. He took a couple of years to do this, but he did actually come across him in Ujiji in 1871. Now, that meeting is very well recorded and well known, and particularly for the um, greeting that Stanley gave Livingston when they met, which was and is the title of our exhibition, Dr Livingston, I presume, as he doffed his hat. Livingston was wearing his usual consular hat, something he'd adopted, a naval hat, in fact, a a uniform hat, but he found that they were very um, good for 
travel through Africa, you know, against the sun. And um, Stanley was wearing the rather typical topi hat, which he buffed up for the occasion. And that was the hat that he doffed when he met Livingston. Now, these two hats have made their way back to the Royal Geographical Society and are very much the sort of iconic objects associated with these two men. I think there's something I'd like to add here in that the hats have a particular resonance because I think the head is a site of knowledge, of intelligence, and anything associated with that, like the hats, has a particular resonance, an essence of the man or the men in this case. And so I think, you know, when you see those two objects in the case, um, you can't help but get a sense of the people that wore them. Now, David Livingston married a woman from a fairly famous Scottish family. Her name was Mary. Will there be anything about Mary in this exhibition? Okay, yes. Well, Mary married Livingston in Africa. She was the daughter of uh, Robert Moffat, who had already established a mission station at a place called Kuraman in South Africa, north of Cape Town. Livingston had first met Moffat when he was in London training as a missionary, eventually decided that, that, yes, actually, he would go out to South Africa, and I think Moffat recommended that perhaps that he did that. So whilst he was travelling, looking for his own mission station, he had an accident. He was attacked by a lion, and I don't know how he escaped, but he did with pretty bad injuries to his arm, which he sort of fixed up himself, but recuperated back in the Moffat household in Kuraman, where Mary was rather the nursemaid, I think, by reading between the lines. And basically they got together and married. Um, They went on to have six children. She, of course, would have been a perfect wife in many senses because she had been born in South Africa, a missionary daughter, understood the life of a missionary. And what artefacts do we have of Mary in the exhibition? We do have one artefact. It is the Bible that she gave to Livingston on their marriage, inscribed in, in the frontispiece. And it's quite telling, I think, that in fact it was a Bible that she chose to give Livingston for their wedding day, um, sort of suggesting their deep sense of commitment to Christianity. Interesting that you say that, because for a great many of us, certainly growing up in the United States, I always thought that David Livingston was a great explorer. I had no idea he was a man of the cloth. And I'm just wondering if you can bring his faith back into the picture. I mean, my understanding is that he felt that by opening up Africa, he would bring tolerance, he would he'd show them how to live without violence, without injustice, and without slavery. And I, I think it's very interesting to remind people that he wasn't just out, I, I need to conquer the Zambezi because it's there to be conquered, I need to find the lake because it's... He wasn't ticking off monuments, was he? I think certainly he went out to Africa as somebody from the London Missionary Society, you know, a missionary, and his aim was to establish a mission station. He looked at various sites and ultimately did in fact resign from the London Missionary Society and headed off rather as an explorer, somebody who was looking for trade routes. But his 
faith was always underlying that. And so he's one of, uh, he's interesting in the fact that he allowed in his writing the voice of the Africans he encountered, their ideas about local beliefs, systems, and their sense of religion. And I think this has probably contributed to the fact he didn't convert many to um, the Christian faith because he was totally um, happy to engage with them and listen to them rather than go in with a mission to convert. Can you also tell me about some of the new research being done on David Livingston, which I know will feature in the book that accompanies the exhibition? The book is the product of um, my earlier research. When I first started researching for this exhibition, I soon realised that there were a number of scholars out there who were working now on Livingston. New research across a range of disciplines. So one of the things I thought about as a legacy for uh, the Bicentenary 2013, uh, beyond the exhibition, was to bring together these contributors. Fortunately, they all agreed when I proposed this to them. So we have new work from English literature, from a medical historian, from museum studies, from science and geography. I also think it's very easy to... We travel around the world so swiftly and so simply nowadays. The more I read about David Livingston, the more shocked and awed I am by his travels. It's almost impossible to over-explain the hardships he faced, but I'm wondering if you can run us through some of the difficulties he would have encountered in his journey. I think one of the initial difficulties is if you can imagine going into a country where, if you can picture Africa, the map of Africa, and round the edges, round the coast, there are uh, towns and rivers and there's a sort of documented area. Then you head off from those and there is nothing documented. There's no maps, no manuscripts of anything to do with where you're going. So in the first place, you've got to sort of work out where you're going, how far you are from X to Y. And of course, he would have relied hugely on local knowledge for this. And so his engagement with the local people was vital. And it's clear from his writings that he saw this as an important aspect of his travels. Malaria for us is something that we now have under control with anti-malarial tablets. He was very interested in how he could prevent what was not fully called malaria at that time but the you know this disease that was killing people so he developed his own method of dealing with this with a tablet which is called Livingston's Rousers and in fact we do have a bottle in the exhibition and they were a curious mixture which included rhubarb and some quinine which of course we would now recognize as being something that was then developed to be used the sense of of how long it took to write when you wrote letters and you sent them. So, yeah, I mean, those are the sort of, some of the hardships. Never mind not being able to see your family for years on end, but clearly driven and determined in a foolhardy way sometimes. But, um, yeah, there's no doubt. You You can't take away the fact he was determined. Finally, what is it you hope that visitors to the museum will take away after they've been to the exhibition, Dr. Livingston, I presume? Well, I think um, one of the intentions is to highlight our collections. I mean, it's a great opportunity. And I think the fact that we're having an exhibition highlights the importance and significance of somebody like Livingston and his place in Scottish history, but also in African history. We've been keen to promote our Uh, partnership with museums of Malawi and recognize 
that from the time that Livingston went into Malawi in 1859 to the present, there is still a resonance of his influence. And I'm sure if he was to know of our partnership today, he would be delighted. So just before we go, what's the title of the book again? The book is David Livingstone, Man, Myth and Legacy and is edited by myself, Sarah Worden, and is a, very much a 21st century perspective with 10 contributors, all you know, looking at different aspects of Livingstone in a contemporary context. Tremendous. Now remember the exhibition runs until the 7th of April and it's free to visitors to the Museum of Scotland.